Hebrews 13 is where we are today. Hebrews 13, 7 and 8. In Hebrews 13, 7 and 8, we read this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate, imitate their faith. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. If you go back to 1 Kings 12, we arrive on the scene to find the great king Solomon is dead. The wise king who wrote all those parables, all those proverbs that we read about, okay, in Proverbs, that wise king is gone. And everybody in Israel is wondering if his son, Rehoboam, will be as wise as his dad. Because although his, son, although his dad was wise, Solomon, he was also pretty ruthless. And he conscripted labor for most of Israel to build cities and palaces for himself and his concubines. And so all of Israel comes together, all of Israel comes together to King Rehoboam, the next in line, Solomon's son. And they say to him, Rehoboam, if you'll just be a little bit lighter on us, okay, not work us quite so hard, we promise we will all serve you. Rehoboam thinks about it for a second. He says, all right, give me three days to think more about this, which is the right thing to do. you got a big decision. You take a little time to think about it. And then he does another right thing. And we think, man, this guy is going to be wise like his dad. This is what it says in 1 Kings 12, 6. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men who had attended his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, how would you advise me to answer the people? And these older guys who've been around a little bit longer, been following God a little bit longer, they say, give the people what they want. And being a king will be a cinch. Just give them what they want. But Rehoboam, it says in verse 8, disregarded the advice that the older man gave him and consulted with the young men who had grown up with him and now attended him. The people who serve him and tell him what they want to hear, what he wants to hear. And they say, he says, what should I do? And they say, don't be, don't be weak. Okay. Don't give in to what the people want. They'll sense this weakness, and they will jump all over you. Do anything but that. So the people come back three days later. They all come before Rehoboam, and he says to them, My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. And my father disciplined you with whips, but I'll discipline you with scorpions. And the people nod their heads, and they turn around, and they walk out the door, and they keep walking. Okay, and that very day, 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel leave the union forever. Okay, and Rehoboam, who was next in line to be king of 12 tribes, ends up being king of two, while some other guy is king of 10, okay, because he didn't listen. You've never done that before, right? Me neither. You know, sought out the wisdom of somebody who might have been around a little bit longer, might be a little bit smarter, and then done the exact opposite to the detriment of your life and everyone else around you. You've never done that. Me neither. How do you keep from doing that? Okay, when facing a situation that you've never faced before, like Rehoboam is, how do you keep from messing it up? How do you learn to do something other than mess it up? 
As a way of thinking about that question, I want, I want to kind of take a roundabout to getting to an answer. And so let's talk a little bit about Jesus for a second and about the people who follow Jesus. Jesus in the Gospels is, well, he's odd. In the chapel service, someone amen that. In almost every story that we find Jesus in the Gospels, <clears throat> he's doing the exact opposite of what everyone wants or expects him to do. You know, when everybody else wants to throw stones, Jesus won't do it. When everybody else behaves on the Sabbath day, Jesus won't do it. You know, Jesus talks in parables that nobody can make any sense of. Like John says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness hasn't understood it. He's weird. He's odd. In a way, he's kind of like a boy I went to high school with. I went to school with this boy. He had this unique sense of humor, kind of an odd personality. Didn't really fit in. Didn't have a lot of friends. But when you put him on a stage in the theater, when the bright lights were on him, the guy just came to life. He could be anybody. It was so obvious to our whole school that this was where he belonged. He didn't really belong in our high school with, with baseball players and football players and cheerleaders and dance squads. He was just kind of odd and didn't fit in. And he might have needed to be there for a while, but everybody in that school knew he belonged somewhere like, I don't know, Broadway. And today that's where he's, he's actually at, Broadway, like finally where he belongs. Jesus is kind of like that, okay? He's odd. He's weird. He's weird here on earth because he doesn't, he doesn't quite belong here. In John 17, just before Jesus is arrested, he's praying. It's this, the longest prayer of Jesus that we have. It's this really intimate moment of prayer, and Jesus says to God, God, I don't belong here. I've done the work that you sent me to do, but the truth is, I belong with you. I don't belong here. And then he says this line that I think changes history about you and me. He says in John 17, verses 15 and following, about us, they, they, do not belong in the world just as I don't belong to the world. But as you have sent me into the world, so I am sending them into the world. He says that we are just like him. We're weird. We're on a mission in this world, but we're different because we don't belong here. Like the song goes, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. So early Christians really felt like that. And I bet some of you are feeling like that this week, right? Suddenly you're realizing that people you thought agreed with you and valued what you value, you think, well, maybe you value something different. And you feel weird, and you feel kind of alone, and you feel different. You're like an alien and stranger. That's what early Christians called themselves. Not like E.T. or Marvin the Martian. We're, we're talking about a foreigner living in a country that's not yours, a culture where you don't belong, where you look different, where you sound different, where you act different. That's, that's how Christians felt in the first centuries, like aliens who don't belong here. And so the writer of Hebrews says, you don't. You have a heavenly calling. That's, that's where you're getting your marching orders from. That's the place where you belong, a heavenly calling. You're aliens with a heavenly call. Turns out that makes you kind of weird to have a heavenly calling. Weird like the one that we follow. You end up doing things different, like Hebrews 13 kind of things. If you have a Bible or, or maybe your phone or a device, why don't you open up to Hebrews 13 and just look at it? 
This chapter is full of what we're calling alien ethics. So the first 12 chapters sets up this identity that we're talking about. The Christians, like the one that they follow, are weird on earth. They're aliens and strangers who have this heavenly calling and don't belong here. Twelve chapters of that. And then one chapter at the end of things to do to stay alien, to stay different, to stay unique in this world. Things like love each other, but don't love your money. And, and don't love someone else's spouse. And um, be hospitable. And remember those in prison. It's a to-do list. A to-do list. But is the list changing anybody? You know, presumably you've had this list for a long time. Is it changing you? Is it changing the people that read it originally? Is a list all it takes to stay weird, to stay alien? Or if you think about the story we started with, is a list going to cover every situation you come across in life? Are you going to come into things that you've never faced before that aren't in the list? Well, then what are you going to do? How are you you going to continue to be like Jesus when it's not always so obvious? My dad had two assistants at the church where he served, two secretaries. One was named Barb. She was kind of like a grandmother to me. And the other was Shelly. And Shelly loved hugs. She loved a good hug. Okay, so I wouldn't come to see my dad at work without two or three hugs from Shelly. And on Sunday morning, Shelly would make the rounds in the church uh, comments just hugging everyone, just these full-bodied, everything she had put into them, hugs. And I, I think over time that people started coming to church for that hug. Right? You know, that was kind of part of who we were. We were the church that collectively hugged Shelly really well. So my dad would give Shelly special tasks like, cutting out business cards or folding church bulletins or, or maybe printing class handouts. And I can remember several times watching him as he'd come into Shelly's office and say, Shelly, I really need this done, and you are the best at it. Would you mind doing this? And Shelly would stand up and she would say, I sure can do it, Mr. Lonnie. And she would give him a big hug and she would start working on it. And sometimes she could do it, sometimes she couldn't do it. Didn't really matter. My dad would come in afterwards. He'd, he'd come back into her office and he'd say, Shelly, how'd it go? And she'd show him what she was working on. He'd say, Shelly, I am so grateful for you. I'm so thankful that you worked on this for me. Can I have a hug? And she would stand up and give him a big hug. Down syndrome. Down syndrome. It was only later in my life that I learned about that term and learned that it was part of who Shelly was. But that's not what I knew growing up right? All I knew growing up from watching people at my church and watching my dad treat Shelly in a certain way was that Shelly was a special person who this church loved and who got lots of hugs. That's what I knew about Shelly. So, so pause and consider what I'm saying there right now. My dad never preached a sermon on how to treat Shelly. You know, there weren't rules posted throughout the church, this is how we treat Shelly around here. Everybody just knew it, Okay, they just grew into it. Even new members would just kind of learn this is how we treat Shelly around here. You stand in line for a hug. Hey, really think about what I'm saying. I learned that when it comes to the treatment of people like Shelly, that the church does it different. The church does it different. And nobody had ever had to spell it out for me. The church does it different. 
I mean, think about how differently Shelly is treated in every other area of the world. You know, because there's, there's a world out there beyond these doors that's taken the R word, made it an insult, right? You know, there's a word that stares at Shelly, that gets nervous around Shelly, but not at church. You know, at church, kids just grow up learning to hug Shelly, learning to love her, learning to laugh at her jokes. Like, there's no other way to do it. Of course there is, but they learned there's a right way to treat Shelly. And Shelly's not covered in Hebrews 13. That doesn't mean there's not a Christian way to treat her, right? A way that you just absorb like a sponge by being around people who are treating her right. So I think what I'm describing here is what we would have called in the old days apprenticeship. Apprenticeship. So for millennia, the way that you learned to trade, whether it was carpentry or cooking or farming, was that you observed a master at work over a long period of time, and you did what they did. So this is how Jesus presumably loves carpentry. You know, it comes to learn it. He, he's in the shop with his father Joseph. He's watching what his father does as he works with the wood. He's asking questions when he doesn't understand something, and he's, he's doing what he does. This is what it means to be an apprentice, someone who watches a master at work over a long period of time in the hopes that one day you become a master. And the things that you don't understand now, okay, become instinctive and natural to you later. And I think the writer of Hebrews knows, even in the middle of giving us this list, this to-do list, about the Christian life, the alien ethics, that life, Christian life, is a lot more than a list. You know, there's a lot more that comes up in this life than any list can cover, any list that would be short enough for you to read. A Rehoboam-type situation, something new that you have never encountered before. And maybe it's something as simple as Shelley coming to your church or coming into your home. Someone who's not covered in Hebrews 13, there's no mention of Shelley there, but that doesn't mean there's not a way, a Christian way, to treat Shelley. It just means not everything can fit in a list. And the Hebrews writer knows that. And so he stops. He stops in the middle of this list, all right? And he says, really, the Christian life is less like a list, and it's more like a craft or a trade, something that you learn over time by watching masters at work. He says, so remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and just imitate their faith. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Or in other words, when things come up in your life that I haven't covered in my list and you aren't prepared for, the great thing is someone else in your church is prepared for it. Someone else has been there before. They've gone through what you've gone through before. So what you need to do is attach yourself to those old and odd and weird and experienced Christians and who've been there before. And you need to do what they do. It's that easy. You need to watch them to consider what does their life look like. Is that the kind of life that I want? And if so, we'll do what they do. It's pretty easy. And that's apprenticeship. And I think that's what he has in mind. So as a parent, I'm thinking about this a lot more recently. And so you, you parents and grandparents, um, I understand now how significant the responsibility is, how much it weighs on you to, to make sure your kids don't turn out rotten, right? Um, you know, I, I feel like Lindsay and I have this, this great responsibility to make sure Noble isn't a terrible human being. Okay, and it's so obvious many times that I'm failing at that. He was just in chapel service, and he had to go out because he was crying while I was preaching. 
And um, I just thought, I, I remember the days my mom had to drag me out down the middle aisle as I screamed, don't let mom beat me again, okay? So, man, parenting is hard. It's hard. I'm coming to understand that now. You know, here's the deal about parenting. It's not only that you don't want your kid to turn out rotten, right? It's that you want your kid to be honest and fair. You want your kid to have integrity. You want your kid to follow God, to be a part of a church, to serve the Lord, to follow God's calling in their life, to be generous, to serve people in, who are in need, to, 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 to be loving, to be caring, to be uh, thoughtful. You want all these things of your kids, right? You want all this stuff. We're really... You know, you kind of just want your son to be like Ron Wade, you know? Or, or I think, you know, if, if Noble just turned out like Gary Bloom, that'd be all right, you know? Maybe you've got a daughter and you think, well, if, if she just turns out like Connie Massey or Martha Simpson, well, then I've done okay. You know what I mean? Like, you can think of those people here, those people you think, I just, I don't know how to get my kid from there to Ron Wade. And, or, I don't know how to get myself from here to Connie Massey, but if I could eventually turn out like one of them, I'll have done all right. You know what I mean? You've got people you can think of like that here at this place. You're thinking of them right now. Maybe if I asked you that question, who do you want to be like, or who do you want your kids to be like, you'd name Ann King. So Ann was a sweet servant here for many, many years, okay, who's gone on to be with our Heavenly Father. And Anne was this kind of woman that had wisdom. You know, when you had questions about life, I did this. I asked Anne King because she'd been there before. She'd been through some really hard stuff in her life and emerged on the other side. And I spent some time with Beverly Ralston a few weeks ago. And Beverly told me about this day after church a long time ago when Cheryl Lynn and Anne King, Anne's sweet friend, walked up to her down the aisle because they knew Beverly was in a hard spot. And they came up and they said, can we pray with you? And they prayed with her, and they told her some words of encouragement. And Beverly said, right then, I decided I was going to attach myself to Ann King and Cheryl Lynn. And she did. And many of you know those three knew that they were inseparable. They prayed together every week. Beverly spent time with them, asking them questions about how they got through difficult seasons in life. And when Beverly was in a really difficult season, what she did was just what Ann King and Cheryl Lynn did. She just asked them, what would you do? And then she, she did what they did. Okay, so think about this. When I asked you to think about a person that you want to be like, isn't Beverly Ralston one of the people that comes to mind? But Beverly didn't become that person overnight. You know, Beverly became that person by attaching herself to the people that she wanted to be like and doing what they did. In the words of our passage, she remembered her leaders who spoke the word of God to her, considered the outcome of their way of life, and imitated their faith. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I think that all of us, at one time or another, fall victim to thinking that the challenges that we face as a Christian today, no one has ever faced before in all time. Right? That these are unique to me. No one's ever been where I'm at before. We're like Rehoboam facing this brand new situation that nobody really knows what I need to do. Right? Nobody's been there before. That as long as people have tried to be weird like Jesus, like I'm trying to be right now, no one's ever faced this situation and nobody else knows what to do. And so let me remind you what the writer of Hebrews reminds you of. To remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you, that you consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, 
and forever. I know that right now many of you are struggling over the loss of our sweet little sister Carson this week. And you don't know what to do. You don't know what to pray for. You don't know what prayer does. You don't know what to say, what to think, what to tell your kids. You're just struggling. And that makes me so thankful that you're struggling here. Okay? Because if you just look around this room, in the faces and in the eyes of all these people who've been around a while, you'll see this quiet resilience, right? Because there's so many other people here who have lost their friends and family before it was time. And somehow, they went there, and they're still here. Right? They were there, and they're still here. Right? And those are the people you need to attach yourself to. Right? There are so many questions that her passing raises for a faith community. And the truth is, I cannot answer all those questions. Okay? You will have to live out the answers to those questions, and it will take time. But the beautiful thing about a church is you don't have to live it out alone. That there are others who have lived it out before you, just waiting for you to say, can I live it out with you? I was in the line at Carson's visitation, and right in front of me was a family who had lost their child not long ago. And I watched them walk up to Paula and speak words into her life. And I don't know what she said, but I believe it was the Word of God. be so grateful that they're here at this church and they don't have to go through this alone and you don't either you don't either maybe we should just follow the leader's lead so remember your leaders those who spoke the word of God to you consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith because Jesus Christ is the same today yesterday, and forever. Will you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful to be part of this church. Thankful to be in a place where you provide us with examples. Uh, people who, are, uh, who would never say this on their own, but who we think of as masters in the craft of following your son. I'm thankful that I have those examples to lean into, that my son has those examples to grow up to be like. And God, I'm, I'm conscious that at any moment, we too might be an example for somebody, and I pray that you will give us the wisdom and clarity to be that and to recognize that just as we're leaning on others, the others are leaning on us. I'm thankful most of all for your son, who this word of God is about, and I pray in his name. Amen. Will you stand and worship with me? I will never be the same again, and I can never return. I close the door.